to the Harvard on China podcast at the Fairbank Center for Chinese Studies. 欢迎来到费正清中国研究中心的哈佛论中国播客。The Fairbank Center is a world-leading center on China at Harvard University. Today's guest on the Harvard on China podcast is Sarah Allen, the Burlington Northern Foundation Professor of Asian Studies at Dartmouth College and Chair of the Society for the Study of Early China. Professor Allen's latest book is about an amazing discovery of Chinese philosophical texts from the Warring States period, from 475 to 221 BCE. Written on bamboo slips and hidden in tombs in rural China, these texts provide a unique insight into early Chinese thought, as Professor Allen explains. I have recently published a book,、uh, the title of which is "Buried Ideas," and the subtitle is "Abdication and Ideal Government." In early Chinese bamboo slip manuscripts, the title is called "Buried Ideas" because these were ideas that were written on bamboo slip manuscripts、uh, and then lost to later generations, and they were quite literally buried in tombs with people during the Warring States period, which is about you know, 500, 300 BC. You said these bamboo manuscripts are in tombs. How were they discovered? Uh, these manuscripts. The important thing is that they're from the Warring States period, which is about fifth to third century BC. That is, they were buried before the Qin Dynasty and the standardization of the script and the burning of the books in the Qin.、Uh, they tend to be、uh, philosophical, historical content. Some have literary content.、Uh, the, the first group was discovered in 1993 in Guodian in Hubei Province.、Uh, there was an attempt at tomb robbery. It was reported. Uh, then, when the ex- archaeologists excavated, they found about 800 slips. Most of them had、uh, previously unknown texts.、Uh, an early version of the Lao Tzu was included in them. Since then, there have been two other groups、uh, that have been discovered with similar materials,、uh, but both of those were from looted tombs. They were、uh, smuggled to Hong Kong and then brought back. The first group by the Shanghai Museum, and the second group was brought back by Tsinghua University. The significance of these manuscripts is that they include philosophical thought from the Axial Age of China. Now, some of the materials are similar to those that we know from from transmitted tradition, but most of them aren't. Most of them are previously unknown texts, but they relate very directly to the core texts in the transmitted tradition. So, essentially, what we have is we see the background argumentation that was going on. Uh, in this period, when、uh, Mencius, Zhuangzi, some of the main philosophers were alive and writing, you can then see many of their arguments as answers to arguments that were popular in that period. Obviously, these bamboo manuscripts predate the Qin and therefore are not altered in any way or you know, have not come under the scrutiny of the Qin unification.、Um, how does that impact our understanding of? Things like Confucius, the Laozi, the Zhuangzi, those sort of pinnacle texts of Chinese culture. It impacts it in many ways. So let me give an example that、uh, from my own work,、uh, with, which has been about historical legend. His, my earliest book, The Heir and the Sage, was about how history is used to express political ideas in this period. What you found, so in one of the things that I studied was the legend of Yao's abdication to Shun in what was supposed to be the pre-dynastic period. What we find in these texts is that, whereas in the Warring States period texts that are transmitted to us 
this period is firmly in ancient history. It relates uh, in many ways to the later period of dynastic history. But we find in these texts that there were people in that period that were actually advocating abdication as a means of political succession. This naturally was not preserved in the transmitted text because once the country was unified, it's not something that one could discuss. But uh, at least four uh, texts have been discovered that demonstrate how the people were arguing about it and not just from one political stance. So this was a rather common idea. And then when you see that, you can see that people like Mencius were responding in the way that they talked about the mandate of heaven to people who were advocating abdication. And essentially this is the only alternative to hereditary rule that one has ever had in, in the Chinese tradition. Uh, so what they were trying to do was to figure out how to unify the country. Uh, they, the basic assumption was that you had to have one ruler to get rid of the civil war that was happening in, in that period. So that was basically assumed by everyone. But how do you do it and how do you establish good rule? And one of the ideas was that if it's, you had a sage ruler and that sage abdicated to another ruler, then you could have good government. Uh, and this is very different than anything one had. It, it obvious, for obvious reasons, it never was a successful system, never was, in, never was instigated. On the other hand, it shaped the way in which the idea of government uh, was transmitted in the later tradition because it included an idea of virtue as well as the idea of heredity. Yeah, I mean, so a large section of our audience are looking at contemporary government in China. Do you think there were lessons from these boundary manuscripts that could reflect somehow on contemporary issues of governments in China? I mean, I do think that there are ideas in these texts that can help Chinese to understand what their own tradition is, what, uh, how that their, that their tradition was more pluralistic than they might have thought, that Confucianism was not quite what people might have thought it was, but that doesn't translate directly into any kind of uh, recommendation. What is the one thing that you would like people to know about the bamboo manuscripts and this topic and its impact on our understanding of Confucius? Let me say about its impact on Confucius, uh, on our understanding of Confucius. So one of my arguments is that the role of Confucius was promulgated by people who were actually interested in abdication. So he became a model. If you look at Confucius' life, it's hard to understand how he became so important. So essentially what I'm arguing is Confucius obviously was uh, a charismatic figure, a very wise man. He was understood to be wise. He, uh, he was interpreted as people saw him as wise. And he had very many, uh, very significant ideas that were significant for other reasons. But, it, but what I'm looking at is what are the historical forces that made him become so important to, uh, that we now think of him two, two and a half thousand years later. Uh, we speak of all of East Asia as Confucian. How did this come about? And these manuscripts help us to understand how this may have come about by better understanding historical forces and a more general uh, move towards uh, a populist movement in that period in which he became popular. Thank you for listening to the Harvard on China podcast at the Fairbank Center for Chinese Studies. To listen to more interviews from leading scholars of China, check out the Harvard on China playlist at Harvard University's SoundCloud page.